It's McConnell and Shannon, and it's been a while, Mr. Shannon, since we uh, spoke with the general manager of the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, and, um, you know, I guess he's busy, uh, but it's not been for a lack of effort on our oh, part. No, but I'll tell you what, the key thing is, it's always good to get a guy after a victory. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's easier after a victory, <laughs> but but I will say this, um, Mr. Atkins was booked before we knew that they were going to be, excuse me, the White Sox last night. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're not hanging that on them. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then come back. The uh, GM of the Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, on a whole variety of topics after these messages. And we are back. It's McCowan. It's uh, Shannon on the uh, program for this midweek. Toronto Blue Jays won a baseball game last night. They beat the Chicago White Stockings um, in what has become kind of a characteristically low-scoring uh, game 2-1 last night and um, it's not that the offense isn't getting hits they're just not getting hits in a timely fashion uh, joining us to talk about this and uh, a variety of other things is the uh, general manager Ross Atkins is uh, with us uh, you look beautiful how are you okay doing all right Bob John thanks for having me on good to be with you guys again <laughs> this you're welcome here anytime if you want to make a regular appearance here you can make a regular appearance here <laughs> sounds good <laughs> Um, you know, as a general manager, you look at these things and, you know, there's not much you can do about it, but what do you take from the fact that this club who was scoring runs and hitting, um, especially home runs at an extraordinary rate at the top of all of major league baseball is still getting hits, but not getting hits in key situations with runners in scoring position. And you know, the stats better than I do. The <laughs> last four or five days have been like puzzlingly bad um not much you can do about it i suppose is there yeah i mean i i think i we've obviously shared the pain uh you know of the fans and and of our players it has been a, a tough stretch for us i think we're exceptionally proud of how they've handled it we're we're not quite where we want to be as a team uh where we're having these lulls like this uh, but they are handling it well they do have uh, you can see the the fire and you can see the confidence that's still there. So, I, you know, and it really it's a combination of a couple of things in our view that uh, the reason potential reasons that the offense has, uh, you know, not been quite as as dominant as it was the entire year over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, part of it is youth. Part of it is just being a young team and and part of its roster makeup, which is on us and, and just, you know, how, uh, you know, similar some of our hitters are and, and how we're being attacked by certain pitchers is something that, you know, we will adjust, we will adjust in the front office and, and obviously our, our players will adjust to the pitching. It, you know, doesn't, doesn't help that we didn't have George Springer over the bulk of that stretch, but at the same time, there many teams are dealing with injuries at this point and still performing at very high rates uh, but, you know, we are confident that this is just a, you know, one of those stretches during the course of the season that is happening at a bad time. And there's, you know, we can't have those if we're going to be a year in and year out contending team. And our confident, we're, I, you know, I'm exceptionally confident this team has developed a personality. There's no doubt in my mind. And now what we're developing is our identity and, and coming together as a group. So, 
uh, you know, I'm glad to see that this, this group is resilient. I'm glad to see that, uh, you know, they still are exceptionally confident and believe in themselves. And there's no doubt in my mind that we'll have another good run this year. Are there, just ahead, to, or just to, to the, um, you mentioned George Springer. What's the, what's the latest on George? He's, he's feeling, uh, you know, better and better every day. I, I think you guys are aware that he was out on the field running, uh, doing baseball activity, throwing, hitting live BP. Uh, so it's just a matter of making sure that he's pain and symptom free and then having uh, checked the boxes of making sure that he can, you know, run at full speed, run the bases at full speed and wouldn't imagine that he needs a rehab assignment depending on how long that takes. Uh, so encouraged that, um, you know, that his return could be relatively soon. Would you DH him before you uh, let him play in the outfield or do you want him to be fully ready? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it really prop, we'll want to make sure that he can play center field before we return him back. Um, but we may use the DH as a part of a progression. Uh, the pitching staff has been an interesting story all year, and it's two parts. It's the starters and the relievers. Uh, I would think you are ecstatic about the performance of your five, now six, potentially starting pitchers, um, and equally frustrated by the inability of your bullpen to hold leads. Um, let's start with the starters. One of the things that, you know, I, I don't get as someone of a certain age who grew up in the game where starters pitched until literally their arms fell off um, or they got hit out all over the place. Um, this notion of limited innings and not wanting to have a starter um, face the same lineup three times in a, in a given day. That philosophy, I, I, I said some time ago, I, I would really like to see that, that dissipate, especially when you have bullpen problems. And we have started to see that um, the organization has given more rope to the starting pitchers to throw more pitches, throw more innings. Now, not a huge number more, but maybe 10, 15, sometimes 20% more. First of all, is that deliberate? Was that consciously done? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just based on talent and performance and then execution. And, and you, you can see... Uh, from watching the game, not not just watching the course of pitchers' performance, but just watching the game to see how hitters are reacting, uh, how they're adjusting to starting pitchers, and obviously uh, how how starting pitchers are adjusting to the hitters and and uh, the how their ability to maintain their stuff, and that impacts those decisions that are made by Charlie and Pete every game. Um, but it really comes down to the ability to do that, to get through the lineup several times. And it's good to see Alec Manoa battle through with a high pitch count and, you know, flip that lineup one more time last night was huge for us. Obviously with Barrios and Ryu, um, you know, M Robbie Ray has been absolutely phenomenal. Steven Matz has been solid for us, but, you know, four of those guys have, have consistently uh, been able to go deep into games and, and that has been exceptionally encouraging. It, you know, as everyone knows, it's one of the hardest things to do in, in building a starting pitching staff and, uh, you know, feel good about, especially in the AL East and in these ballparks. <laughs> and our ballparks having been uh, Dunedin and Buffalo, which don't exactly play large, um, they, they really, our starting pitching has done a phenomenal job. 
Um, I am reminded consistently that um, I have said repeatedly over the years that um, a bullpen is very easy to put together. You just find some guy walking down the street, and if he don't work, you find another one. Um, that theory is being proven to be um, questionable, at least this year. How can you account for the lack of success of this bullpen? It's, it's a, a very fair question. I think there's been times when the bullpen was good this year. There's been certain individual performances that have been steady. Um, you know, maybe not phenomenal. Romano and Meza have been pretty solid. I think, you know, Simber and Richards have also been pretty solid, but having the injuries and then the lack of performance of others has, uh, you know, been difficult for us this year. So, um, it's something that we have to be better. Uh, we, we have to be better. And that, that starts with the front office. That starts with me and, and how we can better construct that group just to be more consistent because we've had the pieces there over the course of the year, even with the injuries, and we haven't been able to create the consistency. I think, you know, now, um, you know, hopefully getting Joaquin Soria back here soon, hopefully we can get Brad Hand to, uh, you know, be just a little bit more who he's been over the course of his career, more optimistic that he does have a nice run in him as well. Um, you know, and potential of adding others that are on our 40 man bullpen in, back into the fold and potentially Nate Pearson, who we hope will be a starting pitcher, potentially Julian Merriweather at some point. Uh, Joaquin Soria, as I mentioned, should be very close to returning. So, if we get to a certain point where we feel like our starting pitching is covered, we could consider Thomas Hatch as well. Uh, but, you know, Bob, there's there's no skirting around it. It hasn't been something that uh, we've executed well on this year. Ross, do you think, and, and trying to be respectful of the group, but do you think you have enough velocity in the bullpen? Do you have enough guys that throw heat? Yeah, I mean, it's a fair question. I think really for us, it comes down to swing and miss is probably what we're lacking a little bit. And, and velocity does help with that for sure. Um, you, you've seen it even when we've executed some pitches, the ball's still been in play um, and, and things happen when the ball gets put in play. Uh, well, let's talk specifically about two of the guys that um, you mentioned. Let's start with Merriweather. I understand he had a bit of a setback. Where is he at right now? It's just been like with soft tissue injuries, I think, you know, it's different for every individual. And as he ramps up, sometimes he'll feel tightness and soreness. And it's just a matter of managing that. So, you know, the setback isn't one that is a start over. It's a let's hit, um, you know, and not even pause, but like let's let's slow a bit on your progression towards game activity, which he's already been in and will be in again soon. It's just a matter of pain tolerance at this point. And Pearson um, has been, well, you tell me, how, how have you viewed his, his appearances out of the bullpen in Buffalo overall? He's, he's been, you know, his last outing, he gave up a home run, but is, has really been very, very effective over the, the course of his progression back into pitching in those games. His velocity is, you know, elite. Uh, the, the curveball and slider have both been very effective, and he's been on the plate. So uh, very, he's done very well. So what's it, what would his timeline be now? You know, I, it, it just really depends on, we wanted to make sure he had several outings before he came back into the fold. He's still a very young pitcher and still has not had a ton of development opportunities. So we want to be fair to him and make sure that he has a decent foundation um, in the short term coming back into the major league fold. And we'll see whether that's, uh, we're, we're evaluating it after each outing that, mm -hmm. that he has. 
So now I'm led to believe that he's going to have surgery at the end of the season still. Is that correct? The potential of that where okay. he'll have the sports hernia repaired and we'll see how he finishes at the end of the year. I think that's a, uh, a logical and, and potential outcome, but I want to make sure we have all the information before we proceed on that. How does that impact his performance on the field? Is he in pain? Yeah, I think it was something that he was, it was happening later over the course of workload that he was feeling something, but uh, where that's where the pain would occur, hence the move to the bullpen for this year. Uh, but, you know, I, at the same time, it was always something that he was navigating and managing. So probably impacted confidence and in the ability to be consistent with his lower half. We got into a conversation uh, the other day, and I can't recall who, who we were chatting with. And I opined that one of the things that has disappeared in this new era of baseball essentially is the long reliever. Um, every team had one. Um, as with most guys in the bullpen, somebody who used to be a starter and either was a failed starter or couldn't quite make it as a starter. But there was always a guy in, the, in everybody's bullpen who could give you at least two, sometimes three, many times four innings had the ability to, to stretch it out. That guy is almost gone. And the Blue Jays don't really have that guy unless you put Stripling in the bullpen, which would give you that option, I, I would assume. Is that deliberate, Ross, or is that circumstantial with your club? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have happened over the game. And, and one is the shortened option period or window where you can use essentially guys that are in AAA to come and fill those voids. If you have someone that needs to go two or three innings, that the next day you could, you could replace him with someone coming back up, which um, that, that the ability to maximize your 40 man with a shortened option window has happened. And then also most teams have gone to larger bullpens and, and shorter benches. So that's impacted the, uh, you know, having that quote unquote long, long, reliever on your in your bullpen or on your staff um you know for us it's it's always just about the personnel and and how well if your starters are performing well you don't need a long reliever uh you want everyone to be able to get high leverage outs and and match up in certain situations and right now we feel like trent thornton could be that guy for us if we needed someone to get extended or or overton as well could be someone that covered several innings for us um, but it really comes down to your confidence and faith in your starting pitchers to get deep in games and your, your, the necessity to have one or not. It, it, it just, just curious, uh, is, is it a, a, a front office philosophy or is there a philosophy of this club that doesn't really want that middle reliever, that long reliever that you want to just be able to have one guy, one inning and then move on? No, I mean, it really, we just want to have guys that are the best at getting outs and, you know, that what that makeup is sometimes may uh, be factoring in guys that are in AAA and guys that can come up if in the, in the event that we need to use someone unexpectedly for a long, longer stretch and they're going to need a blow and we don't have the same cover the next day. We want to be able to, to maximize it. So, um, you know, really, it's just about having the best pitchers on your staff that are in your organization at all times. All the decisions made during the course of the game being made from the dugout? Yes. yes. No? They are? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, you know, we, 
um, obviously it would be breaking the rules if that weren't occurring. They are, you know, they are absolutely making those decisions and that will always be the case as long as, as long as I'm the general manager, we certainly believe in empowering people and them having the ability to uh, not just for their own, um, because of their experiences and because of uh, what managers and pitching coaches and bench coaches have experienced over the course of their careers, but also, um, you know, they're, they're living it. They're, they're in, they're in the heat of the fire and they understand not only, you know, what the players are going through, but also how certain decisions impact them and, and their confidence levels. So I've been around this team for uh, well, since day one. And, um, you know, when watching a lot of baseball games, you develop theories, philosophies, and um, you learn, uh, obviously. Um, in my mind, if, you, if, you, if your starting pitcher is going five innings, which for a long period of time, many of your pitchers were, then you've got at least four guys coming out of the bullpen. The reliance that each one of those guys can be on that day is um, almost, I won't say it's non-existent, it can happen, but it doesn't happen all that often. Explain to me why the philosophy of having a pitcher, a starting pitcher throw, if necessary, 110 pitches to get you to the seventh inning is, the, is a wrong philosophy. And that using four relievers in a game or more um, works. Because... Well, uh, you know, I, I don't want it to be theoretical. I want, I want you yeah. to explain to me why, why that's preferable. It doesn't always work. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the one organization that has done an exceptional job of maximizing that is the race. And I, you yeah, know, sure. you see it all the time. They have, I think they have enough arms in their bullpen that they can do it. And they, you know, this has been a rare year for them that they haven't had the starting pitching that they normally do, but they still have the arms in their bullpen to be able to, to bridge the gap that you're talking about. So it, it comes down to, again, personnel. And, and if you have pitchers who don't struggle third time through, there are clear guys that for different reasons, whether it be their stuff just starts to fade uh, or the patterns that they pitch with or the lack of diversity in their stuff, that the third time through their performance deteriorates at a level that suggests it's better to make that move and take the risk of whether it's two or four guys that you're going to need to get through the rest of the game. There's risk on both sides. Mm -hmm. So it uh, depends on your starting pitcher and it depends on your relief options. Uh, so, you know, there, there are certain times where you've seen, even with us guys that <clears throat> traditionally aren't going or, or more routinely aren't going that third time through the order or as deep or depending on the leverage of the game, score of the game where we've done it because, you know, our bullpen hasn't been as strong. So right. it always comes down to personnel. Um, one other quick thing from me, and then we want I want to get onto a slightly different topic. Um, and again, it's pure personal opinion. Uh, Espinal is a good defensive player. Um, maybe even exceptional, has done a great job at third base defensively. Good arm, gets to most balls, um, makes very few mistakes. Uh, but he's not a traditional third baseman. 
Um, I don't have to tell you any of this stuff. You know this. Uh, um, third basemen generally have a bat, and they generally have some pop. That's kind of where you put that guy, um, which is sort of why Guerrero started at, at, at third base. Espinal's not that guy. He's a punch and Judy kind of hitter. He doesn't have big power. I think he's got one home run this year, but that's it. And he's never going to be a big hitter. Um, but Valera's played a little bit at third base. You brought Smith up, who has played at third base. No disrespect to either of them. I'm wondering what your thought process is on Espinal and, and specifically the decision to bring Smith up, um, who yeah. is more of a stereotypical <laughs> third baseman. Yeah, great question. I mean, really, um, <clears throat> I, I, absolutely. I think the reasons that sometimes third basemen, or generally speaking, not not sometimes, generally speaking, why why third basemen have had more power, is because of what is required defensively of them from a range perspective mm -hmm. and just from an overall agility speed. Sometimes they can be uh, a little bit more powerful individuals. That that has trended. Um, to be not quite the case as much in today's game as it was uh, 10 and 15 years ago. Defense is obviously exceptionally important and making sure you're not compromising too much offense there or too much defense to get more offense. And with Espinal specifically, he's actually performed offensively pretty well. I think he's, yeah, he has. You know, he's, he's obviously his batting average is there that I think he has a couple home runs and two or three, I think, to my knowledge. Um, you know, he's hit some doubles, he's gotten some key hits and really has done a, a phenomenal job for us. And, you know, our, our thought process at the start of the year was Kevin Biggio was going to be there and due to injury. And he had some defensive struggles there that probably impacted him offensively too. We asked a lot of them and that we were, we were very thoughtful and, and very open with Kevin and Marcus Simeon and, and recruiting Marcus Simeon here. Um, we knew that was going to be a challenge for Kevin. He embraced it and I couldn't be more proud of him for how he did. And, you know, I know he's going to be able to impact this team in a positive way. As it relates to bringing Kevin Smith up <clears throat> and complimenting Bravik Valeria, it's interesting because <clears throat> matchups are exceptionally important in today's game. And Kevin Smith, a very good defender at third base, we've already seen signs of that here at the major league level is actually a better compliment to Espinal than Bravik Valera, even though they're both right-handed because of the types of pitchers that they perform exceptionally well off of. Uh, Espy does an exceptional job off guys with a lot of velocity and bigger stuff and not quite as much command. And it's the opposite for Kevin Smith, where he'll perform ex better against guys with command and not the big power. And because of their swing planes, because of their approach, they can both handle both, but SB does better against the guy with power and a little bit less command and, and vice versa for Kevin Smith, where Bravik is more similar to SB. So that was the reason for giving Kevin Smith a chance, a little bit more upside with the bat and, and someone that we viewed as a plus defender. So depending on who's pitching, relieving, uh, we'll, you know, help prepare the staff to make those decisions. And those guys will, in the end, make the call on, on how they, they deploy those three players. The, the, the reality of not having as much power at third base, and you do have more power than most guys at second base because Simeon's done such yeah. a good job there. Right. So that leads to the next question. Is, are we, what's your hope of getting Simeon signed for next season and years to come? Yeah, man, I, I can't say enough about Marcus Simeon. I mean, he he is legitimately, I don't know if I've been around 
uh, a more consistent professional. I, I really don't, as it relates to professional athletes, he is the ex absolutely the same human being and professional every single day with exceptionally high work ethic and toughness. Mm -hmm. uh, never veers off of that and exceptionally consistent as a teammate and has been exceptionally consistent as a performer. That's all you can ever ask for. So I, I would accept it would be a very expect it would be a very competitive market for him and we will certainly be in it. Um, I want to go down that road a little deeper, but let's take a quick break and come back with more. Ross Atkins, the GM of the Blue Jays, is uh, with us back after these messages. It's McCowan, it's uh, Shannon, and the uh, GM of the Blue Jays, Ross Atkins, is uh, with us. Um, let's go down the road of, um, uh, of where this team goes. Um, you have, let's say, a handful of players that are under contract, that you don't, that aren't eligible for arbitration, that you don't have to renegotiate with, uh, aren't going to be free agents, et cetera, et cetera. But you got a lot of work to do over the course of the offseason. And, and clearly, the performance of each individual is going to impact what kinds of decisions you make here. But it could be a pretty expensive offseason for, uh, for Rogers and for the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, are you worried about budget? Is that something that um, you and your boss talk about on a regular basis? Well, the, the one thing we are exceptionally uh, excited about is to have, uh, you know, our, our young core in place here. And a part of that young core are, you know, Teoscar Hernandez that probably doesn't get talked about quite as much, who uh, is arbitration eligible, but will be here for at least the next couple of years. And, um, you know, having, Laddie and Cavan and Bo, and now having added starting pitching to that group. And yes, some of them are ARB eligible, but uh, the bulk of this team is, is certainly going to be here for the short term. And we need to work hard to make sure that here for the long term, the, the really exciting thing is that we have opportunity to better complement this group to continue to add uh, to our pitching, to continue to add to our bullpen, and then just complement the position player group, which is exceptionally strong and exceptionally young. I think we're the fourth youngest team in baseball, and that's after a trade deadline. The other three teams that are younger than us just traded away, uh, you know, the age. guys that had age on their roster. So um, we're exceptionally young with an exceptionally strong core. We've added to our pitching. We feel good about our farm system is in very good shape. And now we have financial flexibility moving forward. I think, you know, Mark has done uh, an incredible job of working with our ownership group, with all the with Rogers leadership, with Edward Rogers to, um, you know, make sure they understand our plan and what the plan could potentially cost. And we're aligned. Uh, so that is very exciting place to be when you're working in a front office. Yeah, can you, I'm, can I'm you see a, a $200 million roster for the Toronto Blue Jays? Because I, I can. So. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so that, you know, whether that you what the thing is, you don't want to I don't want to commit to numbers and dollars over the course of whether that when that happens and how that happens, we'll see. But I certainly yeah. hope so. And you have to be careful not to do too much at once. And then we've talked a lot about that. I know that can be frustrating for fans and to say, why not to go all in all at once? It, the, it's hard to do based on the talent 
that is available. And with the two uh, avenues to do that by using money or by trading prospects away. So doing that all at once is exceptionally difficult. We want to make sure we're on a steady climb to maintain a fun and exciting and contending team. That brings up something because you talk about the youth on this team, you talk about your core. Um, how do you manage expectation? This is a really, really uh, active fan base that sometimes gets overhyped about how good your team is. And how do you manage that internally? And how do you manage that with, with, with the fans? Well, well, we're at the point where we, we understand that and understand that, that criticism coming and the, the desire for this team to be over the hump. Believe me, we want the same thing and feel like we have made a huge step from even a year ago and and from two years ago we are <clears throat> now a team that as you know one way to think about it as painful as some of the losses have been over the last 10 to 14 days we've been in every single one of those games and and could have should have I don't like to use those words but could have should have won those games and that's what makes it so painful is because we are so relevant and we are talented and now as we've defined our personality and we're very, very proud of that team taking shape and the players taking ownership of their personality. Now we need to define our identity and create a little bit more consistency and not have those lulls. Okay. So, so with, with that in mind, um, and this, this may sound like a really silly question. How important is making the playoffs this season for this group? As yeah. part of, as part of, as part of the, I mean, cause you're, you want to build and win for a long time, not for one year. Yeah. Very, very important to us. And obviously we wouldn't have made the decisions that we've made in the last off seasons and, and at the last couple of trade deadlines to, to make that push. So we believe in this group and um, it's exceptionally important to them. It's exceptionally important to us. Uh, you mentioned Semyon and his importance and um, impact and your desire to um, get him back in the organization. And you understand it's going to uh, re require a rather large check in order to do that. But there's another guy that may be equally significant and in some ways even more so, and that's Robbie Ray, who I who signed very quickly with you during the off season, didn't he? Yeah, we really, you know, no, I, I don't know, at least I haven't talked about it publicly and, um, I haven't seen it really talked about, but I think what's so exceptional about that is that he didn't know where we were going to be playing and knew there was a very strong chance that it could be Dunedin or Buffalo, which might be the two worst places to pitch in professional baseball and <laughs> major league baseball. Yep. And, and he didn't blink. I think it was, his excitement to be with Pete Walker and his, his belief in the staff from manager to our athletic trainers and strength and conditioning staff and just the group and the team that he was with and his belief in himself to come in the AL East, regardless of where he was pitching. And I think you guys have seen why uh, it is, it is never, it never, it never is something that I'm not taken back by when you see that level of competitiveness and that level of conviction that, has been phenomenal this year. Well, but he has done an extraordinary job in um, getting his career back on track yeah, sure. um, and, and specifically um, eliminating effectively the control issues. 
that plagued him for for an extended period of time and made him, quite frankly, a fringe major league starting pitcher. And not only has he become solid, uh, I don't know that I wouldn't, under a, a normal circumstance, tap him on the shoulder and say, you know, game one of this postseason series, you're the guy. He's been that good. Um, and I think he's in the $10 million range right now. Um, I don't think you're going to get him back for 10 million. Do you? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so happy for him. I, I, I couldn't be, he, I couldn't be happier for him. The guy has worked exceptionally hard. And like I talked about the competitiveness and, you know, we'll see, well, obviously we are, uh, you know, obviously we'll remain interested and would love to get him back here and we'll, we'll do everything in our power to, uh, you know, make that happen. Uh, change is inevitable um, over the course of an off season. Um, how often do you and and, um, and the boss sit down and kind of go through that whiteboard on the wall somewhere and and say, you know, well, this guy has exceeded expectations. We want to keep him. This one maybe hasn't. Is that a regular process, or do you kind of absorb entirely during the course of the season? And then at the end of the year, assess everybody. It, you know, it, it's actually more B than, um, than A and is, as, a, as a formal process is concerned. We're constantly talking about it. We're, of course. You know, we, we spend so much time together <laughs> that it's not, you know, it, it, we watch every single game as a group and as a front office. So we're constantly talking about those opportunities and strategies but we'll formalize that process now. And at the end of the season, we'll sit down and spend several weeks to come up with a strategy as we work through the, the entire evaluation of the entire year. Yeah, you have any idea, you, you talked about the two other ballparks in Dunedin and Buffalo. Um, I think we've kind of forgotten that, that this team has played in three home parks now um, in many, many ways, because you're back and the fans are at the Rogers Center and life is pretty good. Um, have you, have you calculated or ever thought how many wins and losses it's affected in those first two places for your team and the toll it's taken on your players? Yeah. I mean, really what I think that it has clearly not been a strength for this year. No, uh, that has not been something that we would thought would be a competitive advantage. The way we've tried to think about it is how can it be a competitive advantage moving forward? And how do we turn this into something that is part of our identity and is part of what we've overcome? I think you see with all teams that do exceptional things, there was something they had, some significant challenges that they had to overcome. And I think ours uh, would arguably be one of the greatest that any major league team had this year. So um, I just can't say enough about how the guys focused on what they could control and, and you know really did a good job of continuing to uh, you know, go out there and compete and, and be the best players they could be regardless the, of where they were doing it. Then the key thing is, is how patient you have to be with that young core. Isn't that, isn't that really the story of this organization? Well, we've, we've been patient with them. And I, that was part of like, it's, it, it's a bit part of the, our roster construction this year. We wanted to see, um, you know, Teoscar Hernandez to continue to get opportunities and Lourdes Coriel continue to get opportunities and, give Danny Jansen an opportunity with knowing that we had Alejandro Kirk and Reese McGuire in the organization. So, um, 
you know, you do get to a point where, um, you know, performance and, you know, the maximizing every ounce of your 26 man roster is absolutely crucial. And we're getting closer and closer to that by the month and by the year. Um, we don't want to keep you any longer. We are most appreciative of your, uh, of your time. It's always good to see you and to chat with you. It'll be nice when we can uh, do it face to face. And hopefully that won't be too long down the road, but, uh, we wish you and the organization the best of luck the rest of the way. And, uh, again, thanks for taking time for us. We appreciate it. All right, Bob. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on guys. Enjoyed it as well. Ross Atkins, the GM of the Blue Jays will come back after these messages. And we're back, and we, again, thank uh, Ross Atkins for uh, joining us on the program, the Blue Jays general manager. Well, did you learn something? Uh, not really. But, I, I, you know, I, I, I would say that I, I think that uh, uh, just in reading between the lines that uh, the, the, a little bit of frustration of the three, the, the three stadiums playing three places uh, they're not using it as, a, as an excuse, uh, but the reality is it's, it really has been hard for this team. And if they can overcome it, it really is, as Ross said, a pretty good story. Well, and I have to, con I, I concede this much that um, I'm, I won't speak for anybody else, but it is difficult to overlook that it, or, or easy to, I'm sorry, easy to overlook that. It, it's easy to forget um, what this team has gone through. In I think people of, have forgotten, Bob. I think people yeah. for, I, I think people I mean, they, uh, oh yeah, they did start the season on Dunedin. They did. I mean, it was what, May 29th or more something. More than a month. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, in Dunedin, then a couple of months in Buffalo and, and now the last month and a bit, five yeah. weeks, six weeks in uh, uh, back here in Toronto. And that, on, you know, from a performance standpoint, uh, from a lifestyle perspective, perspective that had to be extremely difficult but i wonder whether um that did bring this team together as a group because one of the things whether it's just the personality of these guys the fact that a lot of them played together mm. like that is the most well some would say happy dugout some would say frivolously happy dugout that there is I, i've never seen a group of guys that seem to get along so well i would almost think though bob that uh that that started last year in buffalo and the and the you know getting to the playoffs against tampa i agree last year. Uh, yeah i agree but i wonder whether it's this we're all in this together we're not in our our you know we're not going home at the end of the day right to where we live wherever yeah. we live yeah um whether they're in hotels together whether they are eating most of their meals together remember they were in quarantine yeah. For most of this, you know, they, they, they weren't supposed to, and I'm sure didn't go out a whole lot um, individually. Right. They basically hung out together as much as they, they, they could and, or had to. And I wonder whether that impacted. Well, I, I, I think it, I mean, when you look at their wins and losses in, in, in Florida and, and in, in Buffalo, um, you know, I, I think, I think you have to look and say, oh, we probably had, we played all these games at Rogers center, you know, are we five, six, seven, eight games better than we are now? And that, that to me is the obvious reason why there was four and a half out of a playoff spot, as opposed to being 
in, in one of the wild card spots or even closer to uh, even closer to Tampa at the top of the East. That doesn't help. That doesn't solve their bullpen problems, but. <laughs> well, no. And the bullpen has been a disaster and we all know that. And, and this team would be, I think in a playoff spot right now, if that bullpen was just ordinary, yeah. not exceptional, just ordinary. Yep. And Ross obviously is not going to slag his own players and is not going to criticize his own bullpen or point a finger and blame them. But he, he recognizes, I mean, the one, one thing he, he said near the end of our conversation was we've been in almost every game. Yeah. And he's right. This team has not been beaten by big margins a lot. And they have been overcome by other teams late in games way more often than, well, than the expectation would be. What is it? Two and nine in extra innings. I think that's what they are. Two well, and that's nine one of them. So let me ask you the other thing was that, I mean, it was an obvious answer from, from Ross about, yes, we're going to really try to keep Simeon and we're going to, you know, Robbie Ray's going to be here hopefully long-term too. How much money do you think that's going to cost him, Bob? Simeon's going to be mid to high twenties. Yeah. Robbie Ray. I think Robbie Ray can make a case for being um, 18 to 20 million starting pitcher with, with that velocity, the way he has pitched this year, he is, he is probably one of the top five pitchers in the American league this year by statistics. Um, so, so in theory, those two guys are going to cost them $45 million. Yeah. I'd say you're, you're, you're in the ballpark, maybe yeah. more, wow. it won't be a lot more, but, but it might be more. Yeah. Crazy. And that's why I asked him about budget because this is going to be a $200 million team for the first time. I think, I don't think they've ever had a $200 million yeah. payroll and it might be a lot higher than that. And in a few years, they got a, a few of those young studs. They have to sign long-term like Vladdy's got to get the, he's got to get the Springer deal. Didn't he? Well, if this team gets to be successful, yes. In other words, wins a world series or, you know, gets to a world series. The price of, on all this is going to go up and the desire to keep the team together will be raised. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, this is a $300 million payroll. <laughs> Do the math. I know. I know. I know. I just, I mean, the money is mind boggling. It's mind boggling in baseball. Well, you know, 20 million for a starting pitcher, a front end and starting pitcher is, is, cheap yeah you know yeah. reuse deal which is around 20 i think a year if yeah. not exactly 20 a year um may look cheap in he, two or three years and he's been quietly so good for them he really has well this is a pretty good rotation the way it sits right now i know you talk a lot about pearson and what he, he might be able to become yeah, but I think now that's more for the bullpen now in the end. I mean, I, I, well, yeah, but I mean long-term. Okay, yeah. But Ray, Barrios, Ryu, Mats, Manoa. Yeah. Um, there's nobody in there I'm, that, that I don't want to see go to the mound on a given day. Yeah, good point. So um, that's a pretty good rotation. And, and I'd stack that rotation up against almost anybody in baseball. And we've said it over, you know, and when you consider 
that two years ago, not one of these guys was in, was with them. Mm-hmm. Not one. Oh, listen, you got to give these guys some credit for trying to, you know, shape uh, around us, a, a youthful core, uh, a, a, a group of players that can win. And, and, and that's why I think it's a little more frustrating that when they appear to be this close, that they can't close very well. I think that's the thing I mean, they, that's every blue Jays frustrating fans. for everybody, including right. them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I still submit that bullpen, the last thing you need to fix is a bullpen, but it's something the blue Jays need to fix <laughs> and they know it. Yes, absolutely. Um, we'll get out of here. We'll come back with another program for you tomorrow. We thank you very much for watching or listening as the case may be for John Shannon, Bob McCowan. See you.